Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this June 11th, 2021. So grateful to be back uh, with you guys. A little bit bizarre couple of weeks. Uh, Wasn't able to be here last Friday, but we dropped a pre-recorded show. And then if you're... If you didn't listen to the special edition we dropped from the live from Cruciform Con, why are you listening to this right now? Stop that. Go listen to the other one first. Come on. Get with the program here. But, <laughs> but got to be at the Cruciform Conference. Got to spend some time with some wonderful brethren in Christ. Got to hear some wonderful teaching. And I uh, got to thank Brandon Scal for uh, making that possible, letting us uh, use their setup to do the live podcast. Got to thank Chris Huff uh, from over at Matter of Theology for sitting in for Rich, and uh, somehow Andrew snuck into the whole thing as well. But he was actually it was it was a great time. He was actually uh, such a, a wonderful part of the program. I was so grateful to have him. And those 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 my slippers that he gave me are really comfy. They're really really warm. It's just too hot to wear them right now. But, <laughs> but that was a great time. So thank you uh, for uh, being patient with us over the last week as all that went on. Rich, I'm telling you, I came back Sunday. I could look at my watch, and I still wouldn't have been able to tell you what time it was. My brains were that scrambled. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's been a long time since you were in an East East Coast time zone. (laughs) Just a little bit. I mean, I was out there back last October when we went to the last conference, and now here I am, you know, having gone in uh, in June, and then I got to go back out to Georgia at the end of September. I don't know how some of you all who travel regularly do that. I went three time zones one way and three time zones back in the space of four, five days. See, I can't even remember what day it is. Um, and when I came home on Sunday, I, I my wife picked me up at the airport. We went and got lunch. We went and visited my dad and had dinner over there. While he, while they're setting the table, I'm passed out on the couch because <laughs> I was so brain dead, and it was just a, I was just a mess. So, yeah, it's that back and forth, brother. I mean, I know for you, it's like two hours ahead, so it's like t- ten o'clock in the evening. Rich is so very, very kind. By the way, he always does this late, and uh, for me, it's like it's only eight o'clock. Um, so. <laughs> He's always very patient with me, but I, I, it is so bizarre to try and remember what time is where and who's up at what and who's doing where. And <laughs> I, I don't think I can do this very much. I don't know how, how Andrew and some other guys do this. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> so, traveling will definitely take it out of you. But I just guess a little bit. Time, like anything else, you, you get acclimated to it. And, you know, if you, once you start doing it enough, you kind of learn little tricks and things to avoid that jet lag and that exhaustion when you get home and all that other good stuff. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to pick uh, Dr. White's brains the next time we get to talk to him and say, how did you ever do this? <laughs> but uh, well, that he, was he, a blessing. He's, um, that episode we did with Dr. White, he, he's got it figured out now, though, with just pulling his trailer. He just takes his own accommodations with him wherever he goes. That way he can set it up and kick back and relax like he wants and not have to deal with the airplanes and the mask restrictions yep. and <laughs> crying babies at the back row and all that good stuff. Well, I at least I have a pair of, uh, of Beats headphones that uh, I, I got that came with my MacBook when I bought them. And 
they they drowned out a lot so i was i was pretty happy with that they're actually pretty nice headphones so i was i was pretty grateful for the not nearly as bad a noise as it could have been um but yeah the the ba- the the driving and having your home with you you know uh, i like the idea of putting vor on the road so if anybody wants to dra- donate to that travel fund i mean that'd be great but <laughs> i don't I don't see that happening anytime soon <laughs> Uh, oh, and by the way, before I forget, I uh, want to remind you, uh, go to our website, slavetotheking.com. That is where you, it is our one-stop shop for all of our stuff. Um, it's where the RSS feeds is. It's where our social media links are. It is uh, ho- uh, it, uh, more and more, we're trying to put more written material on their blog stuff. Apparently, if I put stuff on Twitter, it can take off and make its way around the world in about 30 seconds. If I put it on the website, Y'all forget we have a website and it like crickets. So <laughs> if you would be so kind, get signed up with the website. Get go on there. Get uh, make yourself a subscriber. As articles come out, as new programs come out, uh, as we hope to do things like maybe more live podcasts. Uh, on, you know when opportunities present themselves, it's all gonna show up there. So if you would please go there, get signed up, slavetotheking.com. You'll find our Patreon link there. You'll find our links to the uh, the various resources that we have, including being part of the Christian podcast community. Please, please, please go to slavetotheking.com and get signed up. And don't forget that our contact page is there. If you have suggestions, comments, questions, snarks, even if you don't like something we said and you want to disagree with us, even if you don't like us in general, just be polite. No bad language, be biblical, be in context, and uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you. So that's all we're asking you for. Um, want to kind of keep it somewhat short tonight as far as the intro goes because there, this topic is probably going to take us a little while. But uh, I just want to th- again thank Brandon Scalf and the guys over at Cruciform Conference for those that got to watch the podcast uh, projected live. Um, we're sorry about the sound. <laughs> That is one of those things that when you've never done it before and you're you're limited to the equipment that you can bring on a plane, you work with what's available. And so basically we had to jerry-rig my cell phone with some lapel mics to go into the uh, adapter that goes into the lightning cable in hopes that you guys could hear. But all those connections, I think, is what resulted in the clicking, scratchy sound that you guys could hear. Nothing that we touched or twi- tweaked. I can't talk all of a sudden tweaked made a difference with regard to that so uh, if you go you can actually watch the video if you go to our facebook page again go to slave you'll be able to, to find the facebook page and you'll find the video there if you want to watch the live viewing just bear with us on the sound i actually have an idea rich i think for what i could do better with that there's a bit of an investment involved which uh some it's actually kind of a, a portable soundboard slash digital recorder that has microphone jacks in the whole nine yard and that zoom makes we use the zoom hn4 pro for the digital recorder and it's a great device and if you listen to the audio of the po- of that podcast you'll notice a diff- much different sound quality zoom does a great thing so they've, they've got a it's almost like a portable soundboard it's got the knobs and everything but it's small it's compact you can put it in your suitcase and my hope is Lord willing, if we're able to, you know, put the funds together for something like that, 
that something like an on-the-go live podcast, that would work really, really well. So uh, we'll see what the Lord, if the Lord will uh, make that possible for us at some point. But uh, we just ask for your patience with regard to uh, that first video. I I wish there was something we could have done about the sound, but we were stuck with what we had. But I am grateful for those that help us put it together. The guys at Cruciform gave us the space. They gave us the time. And, uh, you know, they helped us get everything hooked up. So I was very grateful for that. So, uh, Rich, uh, it sounds like you survived my absence. Everything was okay while I was gone, right? (laughs) Usual, better than I deserve. (laughs) Currently, I'm just sitting back and trying to relax in my sauna. At the moment, I have no air conditioning. It's about 81 degrees inside, inside my house with about... I don't know, 85% humidity. So I'm just sitting here enjoying my sauna, hoping (laughs) for some cool air to be able to blow in here in the next couple of days. But we'll just have to grit our teeth and bear with it for the meantime. um, I would ask that the listeners be praying for some members of my family who have been recently been diagnosed with COVID. Um, One is in the hospital. Um, My wife and her husband and my grandchildren are quarantined at home. So if you would, please keep them in your, in your prayers and please keep the men and women in the class that I'm teaching evangelism at, please keep them in your prayers as well. They will be leaving in a, in a couple of weeks going on a missions trip and just pray that the Lord grant them boldness and opportunities to proclaim the gospel while they're on this trip. And please pray for me, to for the Lord to grant me wisdom and words to edify these brothers and sisters and for this pastor who has been so gracious to allow me to come in and and to teach these men and women of his church about evangelism. Yeah. Amen. Amen. As much as we are blessed to do podcasts like this, what Rich is doing is, is really meat, the meat and potatoes. And we've said this so many, so often, so many times, your local church is where you're getting fed. It's where you're getting built up. Pray for your pastors, pray for those who are teaching within the church and uh, you know, serve in your local church, and that's what ha- Rich is doing here. He's working with the people within this local church, building them up to and strengthening them to be able to do what we're commanded to do. Evangelism isn't a gift; it is a command. That's what we're supposed to go and be doing, really, all the time. And so uh, we we ask that you pray for Rich and and for that class, and you know, see what you can do within your own church to build up a body of believers who want to be busy about sharing the gospel. They don't have to be going on mission trips. They don't have to be out on the street doing, uh, preaching out of a bullhorn. But we all should be doing something to share the gospel with someone. And if we can encourage one another, build each other up, like you see what's going on with Rich and his church, that's that's what we really need to be doing. So uh, grateful, grateful, brother, that you're doing that. So, uh, well, with, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Did I just jump all over you? <laughs> no, no, no. You go right in. Um, you go right in. Well, I just, I just hope and pray that our listeners at least will wake up and realize the absolute urgent need of men and women sharing and proclaiming the gospel to those around them, because there are so many false gospels, false beliefs prevalent within the American church today. So many professing believers, some of whom Chris and I both know that profess Christ that have wandered off that narrow path, have gone off into strange and deviant teachings. And with this show tonight, we're hoping to demonstrate what happens when a person ends up falling off that path and focuses on 
just one attribute of God to the point where they create a false idol and a false God in their mind. And we've talked about this before about how people can create a false image of Christ. Well, one of the problems is when individuals focus on just one attribute of God to the point to where it ends up becoming an idol and they morph it into meaning something that the Bible does not state and they twist it. That's when things start really falling off the rails. And just want to make it, make it a point that even if it is an attribute of God, if you don't stick to what the Bible says, you can turn that into a false idol, into a false God. And also that what happens when we elevate one of the attributes of God, one of the divine attributes of God over all that he is and all of his attributes, we not only run the risk of making an idol out of that one attribute, but we also lessen and blaspheme the holiness of God and all that God is. And if you haven't figured it out, tonight we're talking about God's attribute of love and how that has been twisted and mis misapplied and has the devil has definitely done his work when it comes to that attribute of God and twisted it to mean something that the Bible definitely says it is not. So I'm just going to kind of hand it over to my brother Chris at this point and just sit back and listen in, and we pray and hope that this will benefit you and that you will be praying for some individuals as we reveal more about what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, All right, so let, let's just put it this way. I, I don't. I think some of you saw something that I shared on, uh, on social media a few days ago. Um, uh, a group or artist under the title page 116, uh, page CXVI using the Roman numerals. They are someone, especially the, uh, the, the singer, uh, Latifa Alada, um, Aladas, excuse me, Latifa Aladas is actually somebody known to Rich and myself. Uh, years ago, uh, Miss Alatus uh, had been on uh, uh, the podcast that we were previously part of, Cross Encounters Radio. In fact, she was on more than once. She was on, I think, maybe as many as three times, promoting the music that she was uh, sh that she had been recording. Page One Sixteen was known for pr uh, basically putting together uh, albums that were hymns more or less content made contemporary meaning not the chris tomlin hey i'm going to take amazing grace and stick in a bunch of repetitive stuff and then sing amazing grace again but rather taking that deep rich music of uh of the hymns and and maybe modernizing the tempo maybe a little bit of changing up the music a little bit but the the richness of the music of the the hymn was retained and it may, it brought this the hymns into the the homes of people who not only love hymns but maybe it was just that, that you don't like the the old slow song and so you hear this hymn being sung in a slightly different way and it opens your eyes and your ears to what is being uh, said in the in this amazing worship and so we were grateful when page 116 had come on, I think, I, Rich, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was three separate times at least that we had them on. That, sound, 
that sounds correct. I know there was at least two. Yeah. But there, I'm I'm, think, I'm thinking like you, there might have been three. I think there were two in which Tony was the, the main interviewer, and I believe the last one you and I did. I'm fairly certain of that. But that being said, we were part of the promotion process. Some people began listening to them, not strictly because of us, but because there were still some that had heard of this music, had heard of this group, and had heard of Latifa because of a, of a podcast that we were a part of. So we're talking about this with a certain sense of some responsibility. Not that we want to turn on her, or not that we want to castigate her in any way, but this is it, it's important to us because we were part of that process. We were part of the process that helped bring her music into people's lives. And so on June 7th, Miss Alatus on Facebook and TikTok and, and various other places, this is just heartbreaking, um, she put out a video that you see so often on TikTok videos, somebody dancing to music, holding cards and, and dropping the, the uh dropping the cards with that had the words on them and you see them one sentence at a time. And essentially what what uh, what happened is that Miss Alatus fully affirmed the LGBT community for Pride Month. It it wasn't it wasn't in any way nuanced. It wasn't in any way um, like questionable. It was a full affirmation. A full on, excuse me, her video was June 5th. And what we're going to talk about is her, her follow up post on June 7th. And you can go to page CXVI on Facebook, page 116 on Facebook, and you'll see what we're talking about. In fact, I'll put the response. On her from her Facebook page in our show notes. Obviously, the response to Miss Alatus's video got a lot of attention, and that's what we're gonna. And then she responded to that attention. But let me, let me start with this. Um, let me read a little bit to you from their uh, from their primary website um, with regard to Miss Alatus. She says in the uh, first paragraph on their about page says singer songwriter engineer and producer latifa alatas follows up her last album good friday to easter with the lush immersive musical experience of her 13th page 116 album all page 116 is a long time project of alatas's in which she explores ancient wisdom hymns and spiritual songs and represents them in new arrangements, new contacts, and modern sensibilities. Now, I'll tell you right now, Good Friday to Easter was one of the ones that we interviewed her about. And there was no new context, new modern sensibilities. New arrangements? Yes. This changed after Good Friday to Easter. Following up uh, with what it says, continuing the tradition of previous albums, all recast two beloved hymns from church history, but in a departure from previous projects. Okay, this is her admission. She's saying this. Also includes six original songs. 
All uh, a central theme of all is God as divine, as the divine compassionate source who loves all people. Stemming from this central theme, central theme comes songs about love, peace, grace, mercy, finding refuge in times of trouble, and finding wholeness in the feminine slash masculine balance of God. As always, Alatus continues to push into new spaces with her music, bringing a fresh new page at 116 album that gives uh, that gives the listener new ears to hear what is being communicated in traditional hymns like Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I'll talk about that in a second, as well as moving explorations of faith in songs like In the Garden, which unpacks the pain of a growing faith and the fear of loss in the midst of discovering spiritual truths. And that's just the first paragraph. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I want you guys to hear something. She, they, they acknowledge that there was a change from Good Friday to Easter. Good Friday to Easter was hymns that were specifically geared toward the death of Christ to the resurrection. I remember this interview. I remember this interview. Something changed. In fact, a lot changed. And now she's created new songs, but she takes two hymns and she changes them up. But she doesn't just change the arrangements direct you to uh, the Sheologians website from Summer Yeager, uh, also known as Summer White, if you guys remember uh, before she got married recently. This is the doctor, a daughter of Dr. James White. She, back in July 20th, or excuse me, July 2020, July 7th, 2020 to be specific, wrote about this particular album. And uh, she talks about at the beginning how she had been excited to listen to this uh you know she loves hymns and she was excited page 116 had a new album so she went to go listen and she went into to uh hear the for the for, uh, song oh excuse me great i'm getting it over running over myself i'm out of practice um went to go listen to great is thy faithfulness and the first line of the song says great is thy faithfulness oh god my father however a lot is saying oh god creator Somebody might not think that's a big deal, but Summer points out, she as she says in her article, naturally I had hoped on ye old internet, uh, I hopped on ye old internet to read the lyrics and and I confirmed I was hearing things correctly. To my great disappointment, albeit not shock, her new album not only ref removes references to God the Father, but favors references instead to God as Mother. For someone who set out to make hymns relevant to our modern times, she sure attained her goal. So, a year ago, that's when we, you know, uh, we were starting to see that change. Um, Rich, I don't know how much you followed, but there were just certain times when I you know, we followed. Uh, I followed her on Facebook and Twitter and other places, and there were just little things that would pop up every now and then that made me kind of go, huh. But I didn't think much about it, and maybe I should have paid closer attention. Because a year ago is when we discover she has put out this album, and she is moving away from the richness of the hymns, the, the centrality of God as Father, and, and how he has revealed himself to his people. Rather, she is, as she puts it, trying to find wholeness in the feminine slash ma masculine balance of God. Well, there is no feminine masculine balance. God is spirit. God is not a, per a person as we know person. God is spirit. God reveals himself, however, in masculine terms. And so this is, 
when you hear of something like this, this is the language of uh, basically the feminist movement trying to feminize God, trying to bring, you know, you know, get the masculine out, bring more of the feminine in. And uh, it's it's sad that we saw that, but what ended up happening is now nearly a year later, Latifa Aladis has come out in full affirmation and celebration of the LGBT movement. And as I said, there was quite an uproar. It's one thing when we all we have talked about this many times on the show, Rich, you know, you know this, where we have talked about the dumbing down of the of the Christian faith. Uh, you know, not really, you know, staying firm on the foundation of Scripture, uh, allowing for the watering down, the dumbing down, the changing up of things, just if as long as it brought bodies into the pews. And unfortunately, uh, you know, if, if Miss Alatus never said anything about LGBT, people would listen to that album and may not have cared. So with that pushback, um, Miss Alatus a couple days later makes a public post. So what I'd like to do is read through this and then Rich, you and I kind of break down some of the statements that she makes in this uh, in this post because I think it's important. <laughs> Let me say up front that I have no animus, and I know Rich doesn't either, I have no animus toward Latifa Alatis. I, I don't I don't necessarily like feel betrayed. I I, I feel heartbroken. I feel that this is someone that is genuinely seems to be a really nice person. Um, in fact, what we read through will probably be the, the kindest brush off you'll ever hear. It's not harsh. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking because I, I know many people benefited from the music that she put out. And it wasn't um, modern day garbage that is considered contemporary Christian worship. It was brother. Go ahead. I was just going to say on that. She did. She put out some beautiful, beautiful music that celebrated and gave tribute to the old hymns, mm -hmm. the, the, the old deep theologically rich hymns. And, you know, for this to happen, I'm like you, I have no hard feelings towards her. I'm, deeply sorrowed over this direction, but at the same time, as much sorrow as I feel for her and what her eternal future may hold, this needs to be a cautionary tale mm -hmm. for everyone because we will be seeing this more and more and more in today's American church. And we already see denominations have split over the issue of homosexuality and, you know, gave this and gave that pastors, preachers, reverends, you know, same-sex marriage. There have been denominations that have split over this issue, and it's being taught more and more and more, not just in churches, but in all the public arenas from television, music, radio, schools, public schools, colleges, sem even seminaries. This is being taught that it's okay, that God's love encompasses everyone, that no matter what you're doing, you can still be a Christian, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And these are issues we will be facing 
more and more and more over the coming decade. And that's one reason that we felt the necessity of this episode, plus the fact that at one point we did endorse this music group and we did promote the albums and we're, we're, you know, stepping up and, and saying, okay, we no longer endorse this group as a Christian music group. We, we will not be supporting or anything. So I'll let you continue on brother. No, no, absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that because I think that's the, that's the issue. The what's really the issue is this was someone as we will see in her own statement that even in the years were uh, years before when we had interviewed her, apparently held to what she believes now, and yet put out this deeply moving and rich music, but now in the last year has had quite a dramatic change. So let me let me read through her statement again. This is on the uh, the page one sixteen page uh, on Facebook, and again, if you're not sure what that is it's page cxvi i think roman numerals so here's in her words from uh, latifa alatus to the people upset at my post in support of pride month i did not make it casually to be trendy or to be approved of by any particular group in particular i wanted to advocate for people that i have personal friendships with some for over 20 years i want to be clear that i do not believe homosexuality is a sin nor have I for almost 20 years. I do not interpret scripture in the same way as you do. That is a moot point for me. And yes, I'm putting, hmm. cert- I'm putting emphasis on uh, certain areas. Well, I could spend an hour on that, those first three sentences alone. And that's where we're going to spend, that's probably going to spend most of our time. I felt the prodding of the Spirit to hold space, ask questions, and listen to my friends in this community. I learned a lot from those who have deeply suffered at the hand of condemnation and judgment from the broader church. They have been persecuted and rejected, yet shown me the fruit of their spirit of the spirit over and over again, including those who have had to leave the church for their own health and safety. I have witnessed true beauty, forgiveness, grace, patience, generosity, and kindness from my friends. I believe there's I believe their suffering has deepened their capacity for others. People I love started coming out to me in college, and it compelled me to curiosity. I saw the person in front of me as an image bearer, and I had to ask if what I had been taught about all of this was true. I started asking that question at 19 because of the bravery and honesty of my friends, and I am grateful. Love has been the ultimate activator in my life when it comes to deep change. Love, not judgment or fear, has brought tremendous healing in my life, and I pray it continues to. Love has helped me place boundaries that create space for healing to happen. I wish, I wish each one of you true peace. If my post or music now upsets you, you are welcome to disengage, unfollow, stop listening, etc. If you want to stay and be respectful while holding that we can disagree, holding that we can disagree, you are welcome to stay. If you cannot stay without casting stones, then I ask you to please step away. You are welcome to come back at a later time when the urge to cast stones has left. It could be that I am no longer for you, and that is okay. I wish you well. May you be filled with the mercy, grace, and peace of God. And that's everything that she writes. Now, Rich, would we not agree 
that that is probably the most polite way that anybody has responded to this issue. In a passive-aggressive sort of okay. way. But yes, but I agree with that. But I just I want to make a point because you and I both know what's going to happen. Should this make it to Miss Alatus or any of her supporters, we're going to be attacked for saying we're being mean and hateful when she showed nothing but respect. Now, I'm just going to say this is politely written. I have serious issues, but I want to make it clear that we recognize she did not come out with a baseball bat and beat Christians upside the head. I agree if well, somebody I, says that. I, I will agree with you on that one point. Yes. But it's also set up to the point that if someone disagrees, if someone mm -hmm. points out the error of the way that she's going, they're automatically going to be casting stones because they're not embracing and, 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 you know, bringing in and putting their arms around and doing all this worldly type mm -hmm. love, emotional type stuff that, that comment about if, if you can be participate and not cast stones, mm -hmm. that alone to me is the passive aggressive point, meaning that, that if if we speak against this, if we point out the error of this according to Scripture, we're going to be casting stones because it's going to hurt someone's feelings. And that's I absolutely agree. And it's actually one of the areas that I want to tackle. Is we're wait, this is probably going to be one of our longer programs, folks? But bear with us. But a reason I want to put that up front, and I don't disagree with anything you said. The reason I will put that up front is I want to be able to respond to what she's saying with the with people understanding we have the same intent in mind. We are going to be kind. We are going to be polite. But we are going to stand firmly on the Word of God. And we're going to respond to claims that she makes in this statement because it's absolutely necessary to understand the hermeneutic that she's dealing with here. It is not a biblical hermeneutic. And we need to break that down because let's, let's just... This is something that's been on my brain a lot lately and something I'm starting to want to spend time reading more about and perhaps writing about. And it really boils down to is there are two worldviews, just like there are, are two types of mankind. You're, in mankind, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Well, when it comes to worldviews, you are either have the worldview of man or you have a biblical worldview. The worldview of man can be broken up into many separate chunks. It can be atheism, humanism, some sort of religiosity, critical theory, whatever it is. But it all is based upon the thinking of man. All based upon the mindset that man can do and achieve of his own will somehow. The biblical worldview says that you cannot. You cannot do anything that pleases God apart from Jesus Christ. And what we see with regard to Miss statement, is a full embrace of the worldview of man, put under the guise of trying to be a biblical worldview. So that's what we want to tackle tonight, because it's important that we see this. Christians need to understand this. We get tripped up, because I've had people tell me, well, if only you knew people who are homosexual, you would understand. Stop. It's not the question of whether I know people who are. And believe me, I do. But that doesn't change what God has said. Whether I know someone who is homosexual or not is not the issue. 
whether they are kind or respectful or nice or helpful, is not the issue. The issue is, is what has God said? And Miss Alatus reveals in her statement that is not what she is concerned with. So let's let's start at the beginning and, and break this down a little bit. And we'll start with the first couple of sentences. She says, To the people upset at my post in support of Pride Month, I did not make it casually to be trendy or to be approved of by any group in particular. Now, I'm going to take her at her word. But Rich, you and I both recognize timing is very interesting. And the fact that she even has to bring that out is interesting. But we note that he, at least a year ago, she was already changing her songs to reflect this mentality. So we're going to take her at her word that she's being genuine, that she didn't do this at like we have uh, Amazon and Netflix and, and, and uh, the car companies and the phone companies changing their logos to be all rainbow colored for this time of the year. That she, this is a natural outworking of her line of thinking that just it's it's Pride Month, so I'm going to go ahead and show my affirmation. So we're going to take her at her word. Um, the reason that's important because there are some that, before expediency, for acceptance of culture, whatever, they will make that claim, especially this at, uh, in this particular month, and so that they get they they kind of avoid the the cancel culture coming after them. So she's claiming she's not doing that, and she's doing this because she loves her friends. Okay, so we're going to take her at a word. She goes on to say, I wanted to advocate for people that I have personal friendships with, some for over 20 years. Okay, I believe, Rich, this is the heart of the issue. She did this because of personal relationships with friends that she's known for a very, very long period of time. And is that relationship with her friends that she has placed at a higher value than God's revealed word. That is the heart of the issues. This is the very focal lens that she's going to exp- through which she's going to explain her beliefs. It well, is that relationship. Go ahead. Well, I'll just add this by by that statement and what she has said in the past and her profession of salvation. My first instinct would be to say, based on that sentence, that she loves her fellow man, but she fears offending them more than she fears offending God. Exactly. And that's that's why this is w- what I tried to explain just a minute ago. This is two separate worldviews. And she has planted her feet firmly in the worldview of man by saying those friendly relationships are the lens by which she will interpret what is sin and what is not. Now, when when we do what Latifa Alatus is doing here, when we put a higher value on the relationships we have with people than we have on God, when, when that value is higher for those people than it is for God, we are revealing we are man-centered. Galatians 1, 9-10, Paul writes, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. 
Paul is rebuking the Colossians for going after another gospel. Remember, the Judaizers had come in. Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians. They had planted a church in Galatia. They had heard it. They had received it. They were a, a practicing church, but the Judaizers come in and bring to them that they have to come back under the law. They have to be circumcised. They have to keep the, 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 the Jewish customs and laws. Paul comes back and, and, and says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He rebukes them for following this false gospel, this gospel of works. They had been put under the pressure of the Judaizers to return to the law. They were adding to the gospel a message of works. Paul says in doing that, they were adulterating the gospel. The message was being altered for the sake of pleasing men. They were trying to either for themselves to please themselves or please the, uh, others who were watching them. They were going back under the law. So for the sake of how they were being perceived to please men, they had departed from the gospel. Paul says when we do that, we are no longer servants of Christ. And that's what Latifa does here. She is placing her relationship with her friends. These people, and I have little doubt she deeply cares for them, but her definition of care and love is not biblical. It is a worldly definition. So she rejects... Uh, go ahead, uh, Yeah, go ahead, brother. Well, I just, I had a thought and... I have a Swiss cheese brain, so it'll <laughs> fall out in three minutes. But I would also like to point out, this is also an example, I think, of the thorny soil, of the mm -hmm. thorny brush, the thorny yep, weeds, a... that when the cares and, and desires of the world squeeze out the gospel, squeeze out, you know, what was planted, that, you know, sometimes it takes a long, long time before someone's true beliefs are revealed and obviously from her statement that she's struggled with these issues for what was it 20 years yeah from the time she was in college and has wrestled with these issues i i get the impression then that means that she has been trying to reconcile the true gospel with the fact that she sees these kind nice people who by man's definition love each other because you know, they're nice to each other, they're polite to each other, and all these type of things. But if we look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse, 30, verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And I think that's the King James Version rendering of that. And I apologize because that just happened to be the one I had pulled up. <laughs> but in Barnes's notes on the Bible, it hits the nail on the head when it comes to what the meaning of that verse is and how it applies to this topic. Um, in that, on down in, in his notes on that one verse, he states, the sentiment of the passage is that the contact of evil-minded men or that the close friendship and conversation of those who hold erroneous opinions or who are impure in their lives tends to corrupt the morals, the heart, the sentiments of others. The, the particular thing to which Paul here applies 
it is the subject of the resurrection. Such contact would tend to corrupt the simplicity of their faith and pervert their views of the truth of the gospel and thus corrupt their lives. It is always true that such contact has a pernicious effect on the mind and the heart, meaning that she had this friend, these friendships for this long, long amount of time, and that friendship was at conflict with what the Word of God has to say. And, you know, there, there, we could do an entire episode on what should a person do with the friends in their lives once they're saved and their friends are still living in sin, but the Bible makes that pretty clear. Friendship with the world is an enmity with God. Mm-hmm. If you're friends with the world, you're, at in, you're an enemy of God. If you hold to darkness while claiming the light, as in First John, it states you're lying. You, you cannot hold to both darkness and light. And the sad reality is that the Bible makes it be abundantly clear what sexual immorality is. And in the, in the epistles of Paul, constantly, over and over and over again, he talks about those that practice sexual immorality cannot be in the light. They cannot be truly saved if they practice it. They do it continually. And it even goes on in Romans, in, in, in chapter 1, talking about they denied God and embraced this and taught others to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that the Bible speaks about when it comes to clinging to friendships over God. Even Christ himself said, your love for your family should look like hatred compared to your love for me. Mm-hmm. But sadly, people have completely, completely misapplied the attribute of love as it applies from God and, uh, as, and as it is applied towards the world. And we'll get into this a little bit further later on, but I just thought this might be a good point, a good place to kind of point this out, that mm-hmm. in that verse from 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. Yeah, absolutely. Meaning, meaning that if, 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 if you profess to be a Christian and you're still living like the world, still hanging out with the people of the world that you knew prior to salvation, it will corrupt your walk. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. You know, Messalatus has rejected what Scripture clearly teaches because, as she says, she has these personal friendships, these relationships, and she values that higher than the Word of God. She goes on to say that I want to be clear that I do not believe homosexuality is a sin, nor have I for almost 20 years. I do not interpret Scripture in the same way you do. That is a moot point for me. So let's, let's, this is as clear as an admission as it gets. Miss Alatus is making it very, very clear. She is not going to look at the clear teachings of Scripture and believe they have any application to the people that she cares for. And what is she, what is she saying that she doesn't believe. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as a woman, it's an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if a male lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6.9-10, do you not know, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor 
greedy, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Go, going to what you said a minute ago, Romans 1, 26 through 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion one for another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the due penalty in themselves the due penalty for their error. And then in the use of the law, because Paul is teaching Timothy that there are those who want to use the law wrongly, and he says the law is for the unrighteous for the ungodly. And in first so he says in first Timothy one eight through eleven, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The law brings about a conviction of sin. The law is a schoolmaster which leads us to Christ. The law reveals you are a sinner. Hey, brother. Yes. I want to briefly define sexual immorality. It's very simple. God created the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. If you're having sexual relations outside of that covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, you're guilty of sexual immorality. I don't care if you claim to be homosexual, heterosexual, whatever. If, if you're having sex outside of marriage, you are committing sexual immorality, period. If you are engaging in pornography in any way, you are engaging in sexual immorality. If you are listening to the music that is so full of filth from the world today, television shows, movies, if you're watching these things, you are engaging in sexual immorality. It's not just, it does not just apply to homosexuals, lesbians, whatever all those other letters are. If you are practicing sexual relations outside the covenant between one man and one woman in the bonds of holy matrimony, you are committing sexual immorality. It's that simple. Exactly. Exactly. And that same kind of sinful behavior is paired right up against homosexuality. It is said to be sinful, and God is the one who decides that. Not me, not Rich, and certainly not Latifa Alatus. God, you know, it, it doesn't have, we don't have to have it in every verse of the Bible to say for, for it to be proven to be sinful. One is enough. But we have multiple times where God makes it clear this is not righteous behavior. This is sinful. God, you know, to, to go back to your point, Rich, God made mankind two sexes. He made man and he made woman. And by the way, what God made you with, that's your gender. Okay, because he because he has created us, he determines what we are, and how that marriage relationship is to work. He commands sexuality, as Rich you just said, within the confines of a heterosexual marriage, one man, one woman, lifetime monogamous relationship, and with very few exceptions, divorce is also sinful. Okay, so it is a lifetime commitment. And that's where your your sexual relations are to be maintained. Nowhere else. 
So no other sexual union is permitted. Not, not heterosexual uh, intercourse outside of marriage, not any, not incest, not pedophilia, not bestiality, and not homosexuality. And yes, I, I included all of those, and I know that's going to offend somebody. But these are all sinful acts described in Scripture. They are all sinful. It is clearly stated. There is no redefining this. You have to go through massive amount of gymnastics to get it to mean something else. I would encourage you to go to aomen.org and, and look in their search engine for Dr. White's response to Matthew Vines. Four hours of, of audio messages responding to Matthew Vines, who claims to be a gay Christian, and tries to redefine all these passages. If you do not believe that what we're that the Bible clearly states how sexuality is to be practiced, and you believe homosexuality can be good, I encourage you go find that message and listen to it. Four hours worth. He takes it apart step by step. So, God's creation of man and woman to be joined permanently in marriage is a reflection of his relationship, Christ's relationship with the church. That's why this is one of the big reasons why this is important. Ephesians 5.29-33 For no one has hated his own, his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why is the marriage important? Because it is a reflection of God's relationship with his church. And when we enter into sexual immorality, we corrupt that image. It is... Every marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. And every time we violate that marriage, we denigrate the image of Christ's relationship with his church. It is that important. But Miss Alatus goes on to say, I don't in interpret scripture in the same way as you do. So that point, that is a moot point for me. She's clearly stating that faithful exegesis of Scripture is not her intention. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and, training, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is given to us to make us complete. It gives us everything we need for life and practice in the Christian faith. Let me add this, brother, that mm -hmm. people confuse biblical interpretation with artistic interpretation, because you can look at a painting and say, well, this is what it means to me, depending, you know, depending on especially some of the more newer abstract type things. Mm -hmm. The artist may be relaying one thing, but it has applications to each individual person saying, well, this is what it says to me. This is what it means to me. That's what you learn in art appreciation. The Bible says this is God's word. This is what he means by it. Your opinion doesn't matter. We are to conform to the image of Christ. We are to conform to God's word. 
it's, it doesn't mean what we want it to mean. And that's something from I've heard for years from, you know, all these different Bible studies. Well, this is what this verse means to me. No, it's what God meant by it. There are many different applications for a particular verse, but there's only one true meaning, and that is what God meant when he stated that fact, period. Amen. Biblical interpretation is not left up to the individual's thoughts, emotions, or opinions. We're to exegete, we're to define what that verse means by what the rest of the Bible says about that verse. And that's there's hermeneutics 101. And that's exactly it. And just to take it one step further, even if someone wants to try apply, well, artistic interpretation, every artist is conveying a message that they intend for you to understand. You may walk away with something else. It may strike an emotional chord for you differently. But did you understand the artist's intended message? If you didn't, your interpretation was wrong, no matter how much it may have struck an emotional chord. So there's an intended message. When this was written, it was written to certain people at a certain place at a certain time with an intended message. Our job in interpretation is to understand what God is saying and then draw from that application in our current day life. So there's an intended message. And when, when Miss Alada says, well, I don't interpret it the way you do, she is fully admitting that faithful, exegetical study of the Word is not what she's in, interested in. That's what's it's that's called what's called Jesus. Exactly. She's importing in based on the lens that she has predetermined, which is the relationship with these friends, that she will find some way to look at Scripture differently. Her commitment to her friends and her emotional connection to them is much more important. And so she's not going to entertain any scriptural interpretation that doesn't allow her to believe that a homosexual just isn't a sin. She's just not going to listen to it. She's predetermined it and that it can't be sinful, and any attempt to draw her in will have no impact. She says, it is a moot point for me. She predetermined that homosexuality cannot be sinful. So therefore, whatever you bring to the table doesn't matter. And that needs, to be, a red, that needs to be a major red flag for anybody professing to be a Christian. That's also one of the signs of true salvation is the willingness mm -hmm. to be corrected the willingness to be held accountable for what you believe and say as it pertains to the Bible. Part of the church, when it comes to the building and the brothers and sisters at church and your pastor, part of that duty is church discipline, is to hold you accountable for what you're saying, doing, the way you represent God. Yep. And sadly, the world despises that because the world does not want to be told what they love is sinful in the eyes of God. It's yeah. that simple. It's that it's that simple. I mean, that's the bare bones of it. They love their sin more than they love Christ. Amen. And that's what we're dealing with at the moment. So let's go to her next statement. And this is where you and I were saying the first few sentences are the key issues. This is the next one. Miss Alatus writes, "I felt the prodding of the Spirit to hold space, ask questions, and listen to my friends in this community." Did she really hear the Holy Spirit say that? No. She did feel that. No. How can we say that? John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither because it sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What is he saying? Our love for God is demonstrated by our, our willingness to keep his commandments. And how are we able to do that? Because he's sending the spirit of truth. He dwells in us and will be with us forever. Going on to verses 23 to 26. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus specifically says again, that our love for him is evidenced by our obedience to him. And it is the Holy Spirit who, it, who resides within us and brings to our remembrance all that Christ has said. It is Christ, it is God himself who inspired, brings inspiration to the writers of Scripture. So when the writers wrote what they wrote, it was God's word being written. So everything that they wrote is by divine inspiration, not inspired like I'm an artist and I'm inspired to paint, but divine inspiration, God's superintended work, that the, these men wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. So when, they, yes. when these words are written, they are our commandments that if we are to show our love for Christ, we're going to obey them. Go ahead, Rich. And the Bible makes it clear in the book of John and in First John and in other places, light has no place with darkness. If, if this, my mind just went blank, but if she had been truly saved, there would be no place for embracing sinful behavior with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit could not indwell a person that has not been saved in Christ that has not been washed clean by the blood of Christ. Now, I want to be clear. There's no such thing as sinless perfection. As Christians, we do fall into sin, but we do not stay there. The Lord will not allow us to stay there. If we're truly saved, he will discipline us. He will crush us until we come out of that sin that we're practicing or that we've fallen into. The, the distinguishing differences between falling into sin and fighting it or making a practice of it. In Matthew 7, I forget the verse, but the Lord talks about, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In 1 John, lawlessness is defined as sin. So Christ is saying, Depart from me, you who practice sin. Practice meaning an ongoing thing, that you're embracing it, you're making excuses for it. Because on the day of judgment, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to profess Christ, and no matter, if, even if you perform miracles or whatever you did in his name, if you're not truly saved, Christ will look at you and say, depart from me, you who practice sin. I never knew you. And the word no in that context means 
just like it does in Genesis when it talks about Adam knew Eve. It talks about talks about that when it applies to Joseph and Mary. Joseph took Mary as his wife, but he never knew her. That word know means a deep personal relationship. It is impossible for Christ to have a deep personal relationship with an individual that has not been saved by Christ. You can profess Christ till you're blue in the face, but unless you're truly possessed by the Holy Spirit given to you by Christ, you're walking in a lie. You're walking in darkness. You're walking in depraved indifference because you believe a lie instead of the truth. Amen. Amen. So let's go over a few more verses about what it is the Spirit does. Let's let's just talk about this a little bit more because she's saying the Spirit has prodded her to ask these questions and to listen to those who are homosexual or part of the LGBT community. John 16, 7 through 11. Nevertheless, again, Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe uh, do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What is it the Spirit does? He convicts the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Does the Spirit say, "Hey, listen to people who I know we've, we've got, I know that the, the Bible says this is sinful, but I want you to listen to them, to make space for them." No. He says, "This is sin. This is rebellion against God. This is not righteousness. This is going to bring judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. He convicts the world of these things. He does not say make space or hold space, excuse me. He doesn't say listen to the the lived experiences. He says that's a sin. Verses 12 through 15 of chapter 16. Jesus continues to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. The Spirit speaks not with his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit speaks not on his own authority. Therefore, it is right to conclude that because he speaks with the authority of the Father and the Son, he is to speak only that which the Father and the Son have declared, which is, these things are sinful. The Spirit cannot. The Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity, Three persons, one God. They are all of the same mind. They, the Holy Spirit cannot contradict the Father and the Son. Latifa is wrong. 
She cannot have heard from the Spirit this way. Well, what what you just said defines later when Paul talks about test the Spirit, examine everything, because later on also he talks about the agents of evil or the or the demons often appear as angels of mm-hmm. light. The the Spirit moving within her, whether it's demonic or not, whether it's her own emotions or feelings or not, one thing is clear, it is not of Christ. Amen. Her emotions, her feelings, her wants are overriding anything biblical. So if she was truly saved, truly in Christ, truly possessed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never guide or lead a person to sin. It will never guide and lead something contradictory to what the Word of God has already said is sin. Amen. You know, the, the, the primary role of the Spirit points people back to Christ. He's never going to lead us into sin or error. He's never going to contradict the teachings of Christ and the Father. The Spirit is God. The Spirit can't contradict Himself. The Spirit equips us to serve God, to obey His Word, to edify saints, and to proclaim the truth. The Spirit can't do what Latifah would have us believe the Spirit did. Her implication here is that the Spirit actually told her that it was more important to hear what her friends were saying about their sinful lifestyles and to ignore what God had commanded her. She wants us to believe that the Spirit would be more concerned about her listening to these individuals' lived experience and that that lived experience trumps what God's Word says. That she had to listen accept them as they were rather than share the truth with them about God's Word and about their, that how their sins were going to have them be condemned. She, what she did not do is listen to the Spirit who would say, proclaim the gospel to them that there is forgiveness from every sexual immoral act. That there is freedom in Christ and love abounding and joy abounding in Christ that frees us from these sins. She didn't hear the Spirit that would tell her that. Brother, I don't remember if you had planned on discussing the next portion or not. But I'd like to address it briefly. Mm-hmm. It was maybe a couple of lines down about her her friends being persecuted mm-hmm. and oh yeah, what it and the part about church. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, that's part of our. But yeah, let, go ahead and you step into that one. Well, can you read that portion yeah. again for our listeners? I don't have it pulled up. No problem. Her next line. This is right after she has said that she felt the spirit telling her to make space and. And to listen to these individuals. She then says, I have learned a lot from those, speaking again, the people who are homosexual, a lot from those who have deeply suffered at the hand of condemnation and judgment from the broader church. Now, that's a common phrase we hear, Rich, right? That if, if you say that this is a sin, that you are condemning and are being hateful and judging them, right? Oh, correct. What was the part, though, about... Her friends having been persecuted. Oh, this is further Because I'd love to know what her her definition of persecution... Well, interestingly, I don't know that she gives any real explanation of that. She does say further on, They have been persecuted and rejected, yet have shown me the fruit of the Spirit over and over again, including those who have had to leave the church for their own health and safety. 
So she does not okay. explain what that means other than to say that those individuals left the church for their own health and safety. Okay, and and without knowing the context of some of what she said, we, we can't really address exactly what she means, but on that one statement about the individual's health and safety. Now, let me say that at no point in time should a professing Christian ever hurt mm-hmm. anyone that professes to be a homosexual, because if you're striking out against them in violence or in true hatred, that is a sin, yeah. and no one should ever resort to violence, regardless of what the other individual's particular sin happens to be. If a church or church members have acted that way, have threatened some of these individuals physically, then those individuals are in sin and should be cast out, condemned, or whatever themselves, because that is not how we interact with the world. We don't resort to worldly means to address biblical issues. Now, if someone in those churches proclaimed the gospel to them and explained to them this is what God defines as sin, and you're living in sin, and they found that to be hurtful, then that's a different issue. But I just wanted to make that clear. And in the context, she doesn't go into any explanations as to how she defines persecution or threats, but if any professing Christian resorts to violence or physical harm, then that person is in sin, and I don't, and I know Chris, we do not endorse that in any way, short, form, or fashion. Yes, we stand on biblical truth. We will tell the truth. We will proclaim what God has said. We will define sin, but no, at no point in time would we ever endorse physical attacks against an individual. That is not the way that God intends for us to act towards those outside of Christ. Christ even commands us to love our enemies by helping them and praying for them and sharing the gospel with them. We're never to inflict bodily harm on an individual because of their sin. Amen. So fact, I just wanted to make I just want to make that clear and I'm just going to kind of leave it to you how long we go, but at some point I would like to address briefly about what biblical love actually is. Exactly. And and, and we'll go through this portion fairly quickly. I I just want to add one other thing. Um not only is physical violence uh, wrong and sinful, but let, let's just take it to what we see with, say, like Westboro Baptist. And you stand oh, yeah. out there with the extremely vile statements about how homosexuals are going to go to hell. And I won't repeat some of the vile things that they say. And you celebrate it as if you have no sin of your own. But those terrible people, if you want to stand there with that that actual sinful type of judgment that uh, Matthew chapter 7 condemns. You're in sin. Remember that such were some of us. Some of us have been redeemed out of sexual immorality. Some of us have been redeemed out of even homosexuality. We have had a log in our eye and by the grace of God have had it removed. So with care and kindness and compassion, yet with firmness and with authority, we preach the truth. So 
not even just physical violence, but if you are being a loudmouth, brashed, braggart, arrogant blowhard, and you want to say vile things to individuals because of their sexual sin, then you're you're in sin. Just going to call it what it is. And I can think of certain discernment ministries that are just that bad. We'll get it. That's a topic for another time. So she says that she's learned a lot from people who have suffered at the of the hand of condemnation. This is a common refrain we hear from the LGBT community. Basically, it is anything short of full acceptance, affirmation, and uh, and celebration of sexual sin. Is if you don't do those things, if you don't affirm it, accept it, and celebrate it, you are demonstrating condemnation and judgment. If you tell them that they are wrong, you're condemning them. If you say that God is going to condemn them and send them to hell, you're judging them. So that's that's a common refrain. Um, telling someone that their sin is an abomination before God and that they must return and repent, repent and trust in Christ is not hypocritical, harsh, condemnatory language. It is the greatest act of love we can show. Again, remember, such were some of us. God redeemed us from this and freed us from the shackles of sin and death. Um, it, we cannot use God's word to beat people down, but we need to preach the truth. And I just want to make a point. As much as she would not want to admit it, Miss Alatus is doing exactly what she claims that the broader church is doing. She's looking at people who say homosexuality is a sin and she is judging them. She's saying, you're wrong. And she's going to go on to say that if you continue to do that on her page, you're free to leave. She's practicing that which she says the church is practicing. She's making judgments. She's being uh, a person who says you need to stop. You need to change your behavior. If she were to truly examine what she's saying, she'd realize she's doing exactly what she's claiming the church is doing. The question isn't whether or not we evaluate a person's behavior and see if it lines up with the Word of God and, and tell people to stop. That's, that's right to do. The question is, who's doing it rightly? Well, those who do it in line with the Word of God are the ones doing it rightly. Those who say, I don't interpret it that way and I won't believe that it's sinful are not. She says that they've been persecuted and rejected and yet they have shown the fruit of the Spirit over and over again. And she's witnessed true beauty, forgiveness, grace, patience, generosity, and kindness from her friends. She believes that their suffering has deepened their capacity for others. So let's talk about the persecuted and rejected. As we said According to LGBT doctrine, anything other than uh, acceptance, affirmation, and celebration is considered persecution and rejection. They'll often argue that until all of society is on board with that celebration, uh, those within that community are often at risk of constant attack or that their mental health, their personal well-being, their, uh, their, their state in society is at risk. And they basically say because that has not been broadly not only accepted but not also not celebrated, that is the de facto proof that anything that from hurtful comments to violence against them is because the church has persecuted them. 
because churches not only not, will not only aff not affirm them but call them to repentance, they feel like they have to flee for safety because they're worried some horrible harm is going to befall them. And you got to remember, mental anguish is considered a form of violence. Words are violence in our current culture. So if you use the words of Scripture to say you're in sin, you must repent and you must turn from this and you must turn to Christ, that's considered violence. Okay, so this idea that they are persecuted and rejected and that they are fleeing churches for their own health and safety, oftentimes you have to ask what that means. She doesn't explain it, but I think as we see what the LGBT community continually promotes, I think we know what that means. Let me ask uh, now. She says they they show the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Galatians 5, 19 through 24. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And, th or excuse me, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting. Right in the midst of the, the works of the flesh is sexual immorality. If you are practicing ongoing sexual immorality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. According to Miss Alatus, these people who are doing exactly what the Bible says they ought not be doing are, are, are bearing fruit of the Spirit. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? According to Scripture, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. A person who is in the midst of an ongoing lifestyle of sexual immorality cannot evidence fruit of the Spirit because they show no, self, they show no faithfulness to God. They show no right. self-control, and they do not crucify the flesh with its passions. She is not seeing fruit of the Spirit. What's that, Rich? I was just going to point out and give you a break a moment that what she is witnessing is false fruit. Yes. Because you can attribute fruit of the Spirit to someone that's nice, that's kind, that's compassionate. You will see that because I've met kind, nice, very polite, compassionate Muslims. I've met some very nice, kind, compassionate Buddhists that on the surface, if you defined the fruit of the Spirit by the way the world defines it, you would think, well, these people are exhibiting fruits of the Spirit, so they must be Christians. No. They're seeing false fruit. They're seeing the fruit that they want to see. Because in this passage, it makes it clear, if you're practicing anything that Paul just denounced, you're not walking in the true fruit of the Spirit. And as Christians, for those others around us that profess to be Christians, we are to be fruit inspectors. We cannot determine whether someone's saved or not, but we can look at what they say, do, and how they act and determine whether they are exhibiting true fruit of the Spirit or not. And the negative in that, in that verse points out that if someone's practicing these other things, they're not truly exhibiting Holy Spirit fruit. They're they may be exhibiting worldly spirit fruit that resembles true fruit, they may be exhibiting signs of uh, wax apple, but in truth, they're not walking in the Spirit because they're practicing that which God 
claims, not claims, but that which God defines as sin. I just kind of wanted to throw that in. No, and that's exactly on point. And that's where it's important to look at what she says. And you, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. The fruit that she's describing are things that by God's common grace, we can, saint and sinner can express kindness, ability to show some form of love, some kind of compassion. We all have that ability. But the genuine fruit of the Spirit, going back to Scripture, is that it's faithfulness. To what? To God. Self-control. The ability to restrain oneself from doing that which you ought not to do. You to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. You cannot show genuine fruit of the Spirit if what you are doing is living and identifying yourself by the flesh with its passions and desires. As you said, she is seeing things that people in the world kind of define as, well, we say that's, that's, that's good stuff, so therefore that must be fruit of the Spirit. And yes, you're right, Rich. We can meet people all day long who know not Christ and seem like some of the nicest people in the world. But the nicest sinner is a sinner still. And, and that which, I just want to point this out, we will see those attributes from certain individuals. We'll see it from humanitarian relief efforts. We'll see it from, you know, atheists that are contributing food or water or food pantries. But the thing that separates Christians from all these other people that are doing, quote-unquote, good works is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, is proclaiming the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what separates Christians from all these other segments of the world that are doing these, quote-unquote, nice deeds. And that's something that we've got to remember because the true believer the one that is possessed by the Holy Spirit is going to walk in the Holy Spirit, is going to want to proclaim the gospel and not allow a friend or an associate or someone you know to remain in that sin. We should be begging and pleading the Lord to to grant us boldness to proclaim the gospel to these individuals and not just leave them there. Because in her case, she is a professing Christian. The Bible tells us we are to judge those inside of the church. We are to examine their fruit, and we are to hold them accountable. My plea, my prayer, is that she be granted true salvation and turn back and cast aside all of her wicked beliefs and emotions. Amen. So let's finish the uh, the last portion. There are a couple of big chunks here we're going to go through, which deal with the issue of love and, and uh, rich we want to remind folks we actually have recently done an episode on what biblical love looks like would recommend you go back and listen to that but let me read through this remaining portion here she says people i love started to come out to me in college and it compelled me to curiosity i saw the person in front of me as an image bearer and I had to ask if what I had been taught about all of this was true. I started asking that question at, eight, at 19 because of the bravery and honesty of my friends, and I am grateful. Again, she's not basing anything on Scripture. Her feelings and her questions came because of the result of 
these these people who her who were her friends, this emotional connection, that's what compelled her to begin to ask questions, not the careful study of scripture, not to see if what she believed lined up with scripture, but whether or not if what she believed impacted the fact that here are these people that I care for, they're and they're image bearers of Christ after all, so therefore maybe that maybe I've always been wrong. And rather than studying scripture to see if she was right, she listened to them and, and it went via her emotions. She saw them as brave and they were created in the image of God. So if they were that and, and she valued them, well, could she really see them as sinners? Her questions weren't about how she could grow in her understanding and seek to serve God, but it was based upon her relationship with her friends and how to maintain that relationship, which ultimately meant that she couldn't view them in the way the scripture has defined their behavior. She goes on to say, love has been the ultimate activator in my life when it comes to deep change. Love, not judgment or fear, has brought tremendous healing in my life, and I pray it continues to. Love has helped me place boundaries to create space for healing to happen. Rich, this is the one I think you wanted to kind of address a little bit more directly. It's this all-encompassing ideology of love. Um, Love as defined by Latifa Alatis. Because we've talked about this. Love is not the world's definition of love, but love in the biblical sense that we need to determine how we treat one another. And so l- let me let you talk about this, because I know you wanted to address this one. Well, I'm going to backtrack for just a moment. And something in that just kind of struck me, that everyone is an image bearer of Christ. Well, no, they're not. An image bearer of Christ is someone that has been saved in Christ. Granted, Every human being has a soul that will, when, when, when we die, that soul will either spend an eternity in heaven or hell. But to be an image bearer of Christ is to be a person that has been truly saved in Christ. I just wanted to get that point across because that sounds more like some universalist type, everyone is going to heaven type rhetoric. But... I just wanted to make that clear. An image bearer of Christ is someone that has been saved in Christ. We all have a we all have a soul that will spend an eternity somewhere, and you can't get this wrong because an eternity is a lot. I mean, we can't even comprehend the depth of that word eternity. But we will all spend an eternity either with Christ or apart from Christ, and that just kind of bothers me. The the reference that everyone around her was an image bearer of Christ. But going on further, that that is the key in, in all of this, that people do not understand biblical love. And like you said, we did an entire episode on this, and I'm not going to rehash everything that was said in that episode, but I just want to point out a couple of things from Scripture. I'm sorry, let me get this pulled back up. Um, There is divine grace upon the world. God does show his love to all of his created beings on earth. Because going back in Acts 17, um, in verse 26, I'm sorry, 25, Paul was, was speaking about God, and he said, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
That is one expression of God's divine love for his creation. Going back in Matthew chapter 5, in verse, I'm sorry, verse 45, Jesus said, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That is God's divine love towards all of his created beings. That's even God's love poured out on sinners, that his divine grace upon the earth gives the pleasant things to them as well as he does to those that are saved in him. And that's something that people overlook and don't understand because the world's definition of love and God's definition of love are two completely different things. God's love is holiness. God loves everyone so much that he will not be partial to anyone's sin. God shows no partiality. That is divine, true, holy love. Regardless of who you are or what you believe or think, you are either a slave of sin or a slave of Christ. Christ, God will not make it an exception. There's no escape clause in that. He loves everyone wholly to the point that regardless of who you are, you're going to be judged either in Christ or in Adam, period. There's no middle ground. There's no ifs or anything else. The Bible makes that specifically clear. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But there was an article that I came across from Ligonier Ministries. It was called True Love. It was written by John MacArthur, and, and Chris will put the link in the show notes, and I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I wanted to point out a couple of things as we're starting to close. In this article, it states in Ephesians 5, 1 through 3, Paul is defining love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. On down in the article, it write, uh, John MacArthur writes, but notice the negative side as well, also seen in the context of Ephesians 5. The person who truly loves others as Christ loves us must refuse every kind of counterfeit love. The Apostle Paul names some of these satanic forgeries. They include immorality, impurity, and covetousness. The passage continues, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual, immoral, or impure, or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, and God, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Immorality is perhaps our generation's favorite substitute for love. Paul uses the Greek word pornea, which includes every kind of sexual sin. And this is not in this, I'm just pointing this out. Pornea is where we get the word pornography from. But John MacArthur went on to write, which includes every kind of sexual sin. Popular culture desperately tries to blur the line between genuine love and immoral passion. 
But all such immorality is a total perversion of genuine love because it seeks self-gratification rather than the good of others. Impurity is another devilish perversion of love. Here Paul employs the Greek term akatharsia, which refers to every kind of filth and impurity. Specifically, Paul has in mind filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, which are peculiar characteristics (laughs) of evil companionship. That kind of camaraderie has nothing to do with true love, and the apostle plainly says it has no place in the Christian walk. I would encourage you to go read this article because it is really good. It's short, but it's very in-depth based on the length. But that word, akatharsia, it gets into some really deep meaning. It, it talk, it, the, if you drill down into that definition, it gets in talking about just full-blown sexual obsession, sexual idolatry, you know, embracing sexual immorality to where that's all you want and all you consider, all you think about. It's sexual addiction at its core. Mm-hmm. And sadly, for many people in, that profess Christ, that is how they live. They are addicted. They're walking in. They're practicing sexual immorality. They're making their God their God of self because they're wanting their opinions, their lifestyles to dictate what God has said when in actuality we are to submit to the lordship and authority of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and walk in a way that pleases Christ. But one of the biggest distinct distincted differences in all this between worldly love and biblical love. Worldly love seeks to please oneself, whether friendship, emotions, or pleasure, whereas biblical love seeks to please Christ in all that we do, say, or think. And it just really comes down to that. If you have no desire to please Christ, if you're trying to make excuse for your sin, regardless of what it is, if you're a a boy living with a girl or girl living with a boy, two boys, two girls, whatever, and you're involved in sexual activities outside of that covenant of marriage, you are living in sexual immorality, and you need to repent and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Because over and over and over in the Bible, if you actually open it and read it, God defines sin. God clearly states you cannot live a life in sin Monday through Saturday, go to church on Sunday, and claim to be one of my children. It does not work that way. Christ himself said you are either a slave to sin or a slave of righteousness. There's no middle ground, and there never will be any middle ground when it comes to that. You got anything to close with, brother? Uh, Just kind of reiterating what you're saying is that Miss Alatus wants us to believe that love is something that has no judgment, no fear, no anything. Well, genuine love is that which says, I will do what is best and right for you. And if you saw a person walking toward a cliff, you're not going to walk them off the cliff because that's they feel like you know, just walking off into, you know, eternity 
and stepping themselves over and, and thrusting themselves to the ground to die. You would, if you genuinely love them, you're going to do everything you can to stop them. So you're going to look at the direction they're going. You're going to judge that it's dangerous. You're going to see that they, the, you know, their decision is going to have a negative impact and you're going to do everything in your power to steer them away. You're going to make a judgment. You're going to instill fear in them because of the plummet to the uh, to you know hundreds of feet to the bottom of the canyon is going to kill them. You're going to well, bring. Bible, Go ahead. I was just going to. I meant to say this a minute ago. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. The beginning of knowledge. And when people denounce fear of the Lord, granted outside of Christ, you should fear God because He is holy. And he is love, but his love is so perfect, he has wrath. You can't talk about God's love without talking about God's, God's wrath. And perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear for those that are in Christ, but there should be plenty of fear for those outside of Christ. Amen. And this idea that, well, love is something that's absent all of things. Well, I like what um, MacArthur says in this article. He says, that, uh, regarding love, he says, in other words, we're, we are not showing authentic love unless we are intolerant, intolerant of all the popular perversions of love. Most of the talk about love these days ignores this principle. Love has been redefined as a broad tolerance that overlooks sin and embraces good and evil alike. That's not love. It's apathy. You, you genuinely sh are showing that you don't care about a person's eternal destiny if you're more concerned about them feeling comfortable here and now. You're apathetic to their eternity. That's not love. That's that love is your love for yourself because you don't want to you, you don't want to wreck the relationship. You're worried that if you tell them the truth about the word of God, they're not going to like you anymore. That's selfishness. That's not love. She is wrong to believe that what she is demonstrating is love. She's not bringing about deep change. She's getting deeper into sin. That doesn't create healing. That actually entrenches us further in what is wrong and evil and destructive. That's not love. I don't know that you'll ever hear this, Miss Alatis. I, I don't even know if you remember us. But what you're doing isn't love. You're going to stand before God. Every word that you have uttered, you will be held accountable for. Every person that you have led to believe that God loves them in their sin, you will be held accountable for. God's, you know, God in his word tells us that when we lead people into sin, there is a greater judgment for us. It's one of the reasons that we are not called to be many teachers because they have the greater condemnation if they get it wrong. Rich and I are begging you, Miss Alatis, if you hear this, we are begging you almost in tears we are begging you. You go to God's word. Stop looking at the Bible as an impediment 
to the relationships of your friends that you'll lose something with them. These people are so dear to you, then lead them to Christ. But you got to be right with Christ yourself first. You have for years sung these amazing hymns about the glory of our risen Christ. And now you throw it to the curb. You are not showing love. You are showing hard-hearted selfishness because you don't dare challenge the people that you have such a strong emotional attachment to. Friends, any time we value human relationship over the truth of God's word, which is what leads us to salvation, then we have said man is greater importance than God. Pray for this lady. Pray for her because she is revealed that her heart is in rebellion to God. She wraps this up by saying, I wish each one of you true peace. If my post or my music now upsets you, you are welcome to disengage, unfollow, stop listening, etc. In other words, if you don't like what she said, leave. If you want to stay and be respectful while holding that we can disagree, you're welcome to stay. In other words, if you stay and not bring it up and you accept that this is what I believe, fine. You can be here. If you cannot stay without casting stones, then I ask you to please step away. In other words, if you're going to bring it up, go away. You are always welcome to come back at a later time when the urge to cast stones is left. In other words, when you finally give up and realize I'm not changing my stance, you're welcome to come back. It could be that I am no longer for you and that is okay. I don't care if you're for me. Are you for Christ? May you be filled with the mercy, grace, and peace of God. Well, there's only one way that can be done. And that's if we repent and put our faith solely in Jesus Christ. That we recognize sin for to be sin. That we deserve the righteous wrath of God. And that the only way we don't get that wrath is if we turn to Christ in repentance who has taken the wrath at the cross for us. But we cannot continue to live in sin and claim to be a follower of Christ. We cannot reject what the word of God has said about sin and claim to be a follower of Christ. We cannot promote what is sinful as being a good thing and claim to be a follower of Christ. There is no mercy, grace, and peace apart from that. This is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to watch someone do this. But it is also a reminder that we can all say all the right words. We can promote the right ideas. We can have a great file cabinet theology. But the truth of the matter is, it is what is going on in the heart, and it is what is going on in our day-to-day -day walk that reveals whether we truly believe what we claim to believe. For a long time, many of us believed that Miss Alatus 
Well, that she was she was a born again believer in Christ. And over recent months and maybe last couple of years, that's proven to be sadly untrue. For those who have heard this podcast, pray. Pray for her. She's made it clear she's not open to being talked to. I've seen some of the comments in there. While she's being polite, she's, she's telling people they're free to leave. The people that are not being told to leave are the people who are just so happy that she's affirming. And that's going to be a very tough bubble to get through. Pray. Pray that God would convict her, that this pushback that she's received for finally being open about what she's truly believed for 20 years, that the pushback that she is getting is going to cause her to re-examine what she claims she believes. Pray that God brings her to her knees in humility and that he grants her repentance and faith. It is with much sadness that Rich and I can no longer promote or encourage anyone to listen to her music. It hurts me to say that. I would I would never want to have to say that about anybody that I once was great, grateful to be able to share. But we cannot. Every time you buy an album, every time you buy a song, she's getting royalties for that. You are paying her to be entrenched in heretical beliefs. I, I just, you have to remember that. I've got albums of hers. I, I don't think I can ever listen to them again without realizing that the person who sang them did not believe the very words that she sang. And that grieves my heart. And I hope it grieves yours. I'm sorry we took a long time on this. I know it's been nearly two hours. You guys have been patient with us. And we're really uh, really appreciative. I know that there's a, a good possibility that if this makes its way into the, the news feeds of the people who are celebrating Latifah's decisions to be uh, out and out affirming, there's a good chance we're going to get a lot of pushback. I'm not worried about the pushback. I'm worried about a Latifah Alatis' soul. And I pray you guys are too. Pray for her salvation. There's no way you can stand in direct opposition to the word of God and, and proclaim to be a follower of Christ. You just can't. Not like this. There's, there's, a, there's a level of ignorance that somebody doesn't know and they're taught over time, they come to realize and they repent of. But when someone says for two decades they have rejected the word of God and they don't want to hear from you to correct them, no, that's not someone who's a follower of Christ. So pray. And as you go forward in your day-to-day -day walk, understand this is what we're facing. These are the things that our children and our neighbors and Pastors, people in your church have been taught to believe. And they're going to hear it from Latifa Alatas and others. Are you preparing your families 
Are you preparing them to understand why these arguments are wrong? Are you grounding them in the word? Are you challenging why they believe what they believe? Because someone else will. They sure did with Latifah. And she caved. Are you preparing your people? Pastor, are you preparing them? I pray that you are. Rich, any last thoughts before we let everybody go? Well, I'd just like to point out what the Bible said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And people, you need to realize, in America, we've had it easy for decades upon decades. But it's coming. Slowly but surely, it's coming. And the day is right around the corner. Well, it may cost you everything to follow Christ. It may cost you everything to stand firm on the gospel, to stand firm on the word of God. You must be prepared now. You must take steps to make sure your family and those around you are prepared because it just it's a reflection of what we saw in the New Testament. The Jews that surrendered and came to Christ, it cost them everything. They were cast out of the synagogues. People don't realize this, but synagogues served, also served as kind of like the community center to where you made business deals and you got jobs and things along those lines. In today's society, claiming to be a Christian and standing firm on the Word of God may cost you your job, your friends, your position at such and such conference, your, your, your book deals, whatever. But be ready. It's coming. Yep. But if you're truly saved in Christ, the Lord will sustain you. He will equip you with all that you need to withstand whatever's around you. And the greatest thing that could ever happen for a professing Christian, believe it or not, is to be put to death for standing firm on the Word of God. Many people claim they would die for Christ, but very few are willing to live for Christ in such a way that glorifies him while proclaiming his unadulterated gospel, not watering it down, but saying, this is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible defines sin. It's getting closer and closer where if you do that in the United States, it's going to cost you something. This, I, I, very well, I, I really expect this episode to be yanked from some of the feeds that our audios are posted to for the simple fact we are stating this is what the Bible says. This is how it defines sin. If you're living in this type of sexual immorality outside of the covenant of one man, one woman, you're committing sexual immorality. That's not what I say. That's not what Chris says. It's not what we believe. It is what the Bible clearly states. That's why now, more than ever, I encourage you, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel clearly and accurately at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, not, not the type of program we like to put together, but a much-needed one. And um, I pray that you guys have listened to what we've said. And I pray that you go to the Word and don't just take our word for it, but go to the Word and study it. Take the time to look at 
these arguments that she's put out and think about what does that mean? What is that? What is it that she's saying and how does it line up with the word of God? This is the worldview of man. It is antithetical to the worldview of the Bible. We have an entire culture that is embracing this type of worldview. And the church has been importing it for a long time. In fact, I just dropped an article on the uh, website talking about that. And I'll put that in the show notes for those who are interested. This is important. This is where we take our stand. Not because we want to prove ourselves better than the LGBT crowd. But because we love them enough to tell them the truth. And that we want them to be right with Christ. So we thank you for being back with us. Yes, a long episode to be sure. Uh, but I think an important one. So thank you for being with us this week. We are so grateful for you guys. Uh, again, if you ever want to get in touch with us, you can go get a hold of us at our email, which is voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, slavetothekeng.com. And contact us through there. You can also find links to our social media, our Patreon, to our uh, our uh, connection to the Christian podcast community. And also, but just as by way of remember, we do have our friends at DoctrineAndLife.co who are carrying T-shirts for that for our podcast along with others. And uh, if you ever want to be able to just help get the word out, that's a good way to do it. So uh, thank you. Thank you for being a part of our family. Thank you for allowing us to continue to do this. And uh, whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.